Inside the detention facility known as County No. 8, the prisoners are walked down the dingy halls, past the cells, two guards monitoring the single line of women in loose khaki uniforms. There is a listlessness, a defeatedness to their movements, a vacant quality to their eyes. Kara moves with them in the center of the line and breathes slowly to calm her panic. She has not been confined since she was fourteen years old. It is worse than she remembered. Every instinct in her wants to fight the vacuum of her surroundings, but she is too aware of how she stands out already, so she takes on the aura of the hopeless women around her, makes her body go slack and shuffling, lets her face assume a mask of blank uncaring. She knows the rules. It has been sixteen years, but it never leaves you. Don't look at the guards unless they tell you to look at them. When they walk you in the hall, stay in line and keep your eyes straight in front of you and don't speak to anyone. Go where you're told, stand where you're told to stand, stop where you're told to stop, and never, ever be alone where a guard can find you. The line moves through the doorway of the common room of the jail, an open space between two tiers of cells smelling of ammonia and sweat. It is sparse, a few table and chair sets, a few rows of bright blue chairs below a high-mounted TV, everything bolted down, and all supervised by a corrections officer behind a raised desk accessible only through a gate. The CEO is a woman today, which makes Kara relax slightly. Seventy percent of the guards are men. Fox is guarding the henhouse, like the one with the feral eyes and slathering jaws, the one who watches her with its eyes the one outside her cell last night. He will not wait for long. She will have to be ready. She breathes in and looks around the room, memorizing the details. There is a hierarchy to this place, to the chairs and tables, and she is new, a low woman on the totem pole. So she waits until the alphas are seated and chooses one of the remaining chairs, farthest away from the drone of the television hanging in a frame in the corner, which is her own preference anyway. She slumps in her chair as if half asleep, and looks without seeming to look. She remains still as she has been since her arrival. Very watchful. Very still. She is listening for signs. Even in this place the night talks to her. She can hear it under the sounds of crying and screaming, under the chaos of nightmares of the women who share this cage. There are two dozen of them in this recreational shift, and every one of them is profoundly damaged, each in her own way. She can see the deep scratches that it has left on them, the long histories of abuse, homelessness, prostitution, addiction. They are sick, broken, marked by a presence she knows only too well, driven insane by years of looking into the depths of a beast that hides behind the masks of ordinary faces, fathers, brothers, uncles, husbands, random men on the street, and the mothers and grandmothers who turned a blind eye to the abuse. She can feel their pain radiating from them like heat, and there is one flare hotter than the other's. Her gaze stops on a frail, hunched woman at one table. This one does not look at the TV or at the other women. Her face is blank, and she rocks back and forth, loosely hugging herself. This is the one who screams in the night, Kara is certain. Few of the others have the same raw anguish. 
The scars are deep in this woman, both psychic and real. Kara can see the streaks of dried blood on the woman's khakis. She cuts this creature, slicing herself probably with her own ragged nails to distract herself from some immense pain. Looking at her, Kara feels herself slipping back to that long-ago room in the group home, the night that resulted in her sentence at twelve years old to a maximum security facility where girls, much less girls of twelve, are rarely sent. She had nearly killed the boy, it was true, but it was the group...